Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we focus on one of the most important lean metrics, and that's safety, and how we incorporate our people into that. It's more than a metric. It's people, and that's how we lead. I felt like I needed to get that off my chest first thing uh, on this episode of the podcast. (laughs) So welcome. Glad you could join me uh, as we are approaching some holiday coming up here soon. I hope you have safe travels if you're traveling in the next couple of weeks as you're going. And I guess that segues perfectly into where we're at with COVID. Uh, Lots of precautions. If you're going to be flying, of course, you're still masking up for the airlines. I've been doing a lot of traveling, uh, getting used to wearing the mask uh, as this continues on. The big news there is that the OSHA temporary standard, the emergency temporary standard that was administered and put out has been put to a halt in the courts, and then it's going to be argued uh, in a separate situation as it was a lottery draft of where it would go to be argued, and that has been decided. And so now we wait. Uh, For now, it is on hold. There's no future action that has to go forward because of it. Uh, The it was interesting when you were reading through it, there was a significant amount of cost and a lot of the cost could be pushed to the employee that if you were offering and an employee decided to get the vaccination, a lot of the cost burden was on the employer. If the employer allowed for testing and masking, a lot of the cost of the testing would then could be depending on your state, depending on your bargaining agreement could be pushed over to the employee. That did not sit well, I don't think, with a lot. And just the fact that it was the mandate itself of you have to choose for something that could be outside of work, inside of work. Some of the comments I've been reading uh, also said it was a little bit too too little too late. When you think about the fact that we're just a few months away from the two-year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve, makes you wonder how much longer we really have with COVID as being a huge concern, depending on, of course, a lot of variables and a lot of factors. It seems to be getting better overall. When you look at some of the maps of contagion, it's getting a little bit better. It's not the dramatic decrease that people wanted to see, but there are improvements as we look. And when the standard came out in the FAQs, one of the most interesting aspects of it was that they actually addressed the question of how long do you expect for this to be into effect? And OSHA had commented in that, that it would only be in effect potentially. 
for six months. And so you look at the idea that, okay, we've, we had it. We're now uh, got it on pause and now we're going to argue it. By the time that we get done arguing it, will it even be a factor? Will it be effective? Will that six months even matter? And some of the questions I had, of course, that were most interesting to me was how could it be enforced in that six months? Because there is such a backlog already of complaints from healthcare, from food industry. Was it even possible for OSHA to enforce that standard to anyone over 100 people? There's a lot of companies out there that have 100 people in their corporate office. And to be able to look at that entity of a corporation and say, okay, over 100 people, you've got to do this. Was it really possible for them to enforce and to be able to help and get involved? I'm not so sure. I was very skeptical of the ETS from the standpoint of what OSHA really could do and their ability to handle it and the overall scope of the process. How do you maintain and really focus on something that could be so readily available outside of the workplace as much and sometimes, if not more, than inside the workplace. There were exceptions for outdoor workers. There were exceptions for remote workers. Not sure how well that really would have been into effect as a lot of organizations are trying to bring people back to the office, which is another interesting dynamic, Uh, more of the HR realm than the safety realm, but something I'm following because I think a lot of people and some of the research I'm reading and looking at is that a lot of people adapted to this new norm of being able to really do their work from home, being able to have that flexibility, being able to get the job done effectively, efficiently, maintaining their workload and doing it remotely, not having to take that time to commute, depending on where you live and where you were having to go to get to an office. And there's still a push for that idea of we're hard pressed to get rid of the thought of what does a traditional workplace look like And should it be in an office or can your office be anywhere? I'm a firm believer that there's not a one size fits all solution. And that's true. We have to move past the idea of the one size fits all workplace. We're too diverse for that now. We're too progressive. We have too many working parts. There are times where being in an operation, being at the point of work, being in the manufacturing environment is important to see it, especially from a safety standpoint. But there are times that you can do that work. If I'm going to be sitting in my office on meetings all day long with remote meetings with people that are not local because I'm reporting to other locations, I can do that from my house. There are some things I can't do. I have to travel to get to see things. And this was also when I was a site-level safety manager. There were days I would go into my office, shut my door, and not come out because I was on meetings with people from around the globe and having to set in through those meetings. And then I would leave at the end of the day and drive back home. I'd spend an hour or more on the road to sit in my office to do meetings with people who were not local just to go back home again. Ridiculous. And so there are times that this flexibility and the learning, the fact that we can be very effective from a standpoint of being away from the office is important. Whole tangent I just took off on, but it relates to what COVID has done. And it has been a lot of trials and turmoil 
and indecisiveness for a lot of organizations of what to do, how to do it. Is there going to be a standard? How is the standard enforced? How do we maintain what we're doing and doing it safely? But then also, are we managing our workforce appropriately and making sure they're taken care of? That is something that we have learned a lot about in the last couple of years. And as businesses are opening back up, as offices are opening back up, how is that going to be effective? Will it be effective? Are we able to bring people back fully to the office environment? I think a lot of flexibility is going to have to happen, and I hope so. It should be, because from a safety standpoint, a lot of the office work done from home is is reduces some risk from the standpoint of driving. Anyway, whole tangent there. A uh, lot more coming, I think, by the time everything is settled out. I'm not sure we have to really worry about the OSHA ETS anymore from COVID. I think we still need to worry about protecting our team. We've got to do that. We've got to be ahead of that as safety people. But I don't think we have to worry about the legislation forcing us into a rigid profile of how we handle that. Anyway, we'll be back with more podcast right after this. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety. www.tsdamalgamated.com. And welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So normally, I would take a little time and talk about anything in the news. The news has been just inundated with the COVID-19 ruling about the ETS, so I'm going to move past that. I actually had a very good experience. About a week ago, I was invited as part of the American Society of Safety Professionals to go to my local college, Murray State University, proud racer, to go back and do a Q&A session with the student section of the ASSP. I was really excited to do that. I thought it was a fantastic opportunity to see how things have changed. I've been in the profession now for quite a while, and I think it's easy to lose that perspective of what it feels like to be new in the role. And with things the way they are right now, what does it mean to even be new into a safety role? I think there's a lot of changes since the time that I started back in the day as a very new, very green safety professional and doing my work and wondering if this was my future career and wondering if I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life and how it would direct me and what I would be doing. How is that affecting our young people? new people coming in and how is it different for them than when it was for me? I wanted to see that perspective. Now I do some volunteer work on there as part of an EMT instructor. I, I TA to get some hours also to, to make sure I know what I'm doing. Cause I don't practice that officially for any agency. So beside the point, 
I like going back and seeing it. And I like going back and hearing the stories and seeing how the next generation of safety people work, how they'll react, what kind of process they have in their mind. Just overall, what is their general idea of performing safety? So it was a fantastic evening. I think the first thing that really struck me is I remember years ago that it wasn't huge. There wasn't a lot of participation sometimes. You walked into this room, and I was there early. Can't help but be early. That's just me. And I'm there, and I'm watching people come in, and this room fills up. Standing room only for this student section meeting. Fantastic. I loved it because there were so many people eager to hear, so many people wanting to be part of the future of their career, the future of what will be safety. The next thing that struck me is we're seeing an increase in diversity. I think that is wonderful. Absolutely fantastic. It was something wonderful to see happening that we are diversifying our safety profession. And that gives us a lot more ideas, a lot more perspective, a lot more reach for what we're able to do to bring safety to an ever more diverse workplace. So I really thought that was great. And then the questions, they actually gave us some pre-questions ahead of time that some of them were giving. And I think one of the most interesting questions and the one that struck me is that I had the hardest time really clarifying in my mind was about what was something that you wish you had learned in college that you didn't learn, but you wish you had of when you were out in the workplace. And as far as technical skills, I felt like college, and I have a minor in safety, not a major. I was not one that discovered it as soon as I should have. <laughs> but a lot of good technical. We, we were taught a lot of wonderful technical skills. The one item that I failed to really understand and realize was how to interact with people. Not that I didn't know how to interact with people, but you're going to meet and you're going to come into contact with so many different people of different ideas. And how are you able to consistently get your message across as a safety person with all these people? And one of the examples I gave was that you're going to meet at some point in your career, a person that's going to make an impression on you, good, bad, extreme, different, odd. And that person now becomes the personification of everybody you meet after it. So for instance, you meet a Mark French, you meet me someday, and then you're going to meet maybe someone else. Well, I hope not, goodness. But you're going to meet somebody that might remind you of me and go, well, you know, you're just another Mark French. <laughs> that's what it feels like. You meet people like that in the workplace. You meet those accountants who are only going to run off their spreadsheet. You meet them that actually understand the people part. You're going to meet good plant managers. You're going to meet ones that drive only the metric. You're going to meet engineers. You're going to meet people who think safety is wonderful. You're going to meet people who think safety is the dumbest thing ever and that it makes no point and people should just learn on their own. You're going to meet people who think everything is a safety issue. Oh, the grass is too green today. That's a safety issue. You need to go out there and cut the yard. You're going to meet those types of people, and you're going to have to be able to give them the same amount of motivation. You're going to have to wish the same amount of attention to them as you do everybody else, because one person getting hurt is unacceptable. We talk about that a lot. 
But it's really hard to do because of that so many different ways we have to interact. And I've had so many interactions with different people that make me think about the idea. I remember being in my office one day and a flood of people came in and they just filled my office up. I mean, max capacity for standing and sitting room. And I'm just in awe of these people and they are mad. And what had happened is we had went into the, the, locker rooms and there was an old ratty couch that was in there and it was in bad shape and it was dirty and we threw it away. I didn't personally, but the organization went in, threw it away and and they were mad. They wanted their couch back. They wanted a place to sit and relax and just mad. It was a safety issue because they couldn't rest appropriately. And I sympathized. This was something they had relied on for a long time. Was there a regulation that says we have to get? No. Is it really necessary? No. Was it dirty and needed to go? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I had to understand and listen. And I think a lot of it was that it wasn't as much as me communicating to them, but effective communication is two-way. When we talk about communication and safety, a lot of times we're talking about new posters. We're talking about new slogans. We're talking about new methods of training. Communication at its root is a two-way street. It's people communicating with us and then us communicating back. And I have found at times, and some of the best approaches with that, is let them do the communicating. And you simply acknowledge the fact that the message has been received. I understand your concern. I understand this is upsetting. Is there other options? What else can we do? And so one of the greatest lessons I think I have learned that I want to pass on to others is to listen and to really take in and really try to empathize and understand the passion behind what someone else is telling you. If you can do that, if you can take that time and get past everything else that is going on in your safety world and are in your leadership role, And really take that moment to hear, understand, try to diffuse, but let them talk it out. Give them the time. And there are some that can take more time than ever. And you have to be respectful of saying, okay, that's, I understand that's, that's good. Let's move on. But in a lot of times it's simply gaining that understanding and being able to empathize and listen and acknowledge the fact that that message has been received. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Until next time we chat, stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.